Welcome to Fitness in the World with Benjamin Kasanji. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And, he, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Let's read it in the Amplified. Let's read verse 13. I write this to you. Who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on, the name of the Son of God, in the peculiar services and blessings conferred by him on men, so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have life. Yes, eternal life. Hallelujah. If you don't get to know that you already have eternal life, it is possible for you to be born again and not walk in it and not live that eternal life. And that is the whole purpose of this that we are going through. Because these people that John was writing to were believers. We've already established that in the last two services. These were believers. He was writing to the church because they already have eternal life. But he's telling them that he's writing to them that they may know that they already have. And that they might believe on the Son of God. Many believers don't live the eternal life. They received eternal life. And many times it's because either we've been taught that eternal life will start after we die or it has never been told to us. No one has explained to us what eternal life is for us to understand eternal life. He brought us out of the world. He brought us out of sin. He brought us into another place. Praise the Lord. There was a story about a prisoner. This prisoner has come out of prison and they've, they've come out of prison and they are on the streets. They are free, but they are nowhere. They are free from prison, but they are on the streets. Hallelujah. Many times, they will go back to prison. They will commit a crime willingly, and they will go back to prison. Many times, they will try so much not to go back to prison, but because they had food in prison, they had shelter in prison, they had a bed in prison, they had water in prison, and if you bring them out of prison yet take them nowhere, it is very easy that they will go back to prison. That is what has happened to many children of God. They came out of the world. They came out, they got born again. That is how you came out. You came out of this bondage of sin. But many children of God have never got into that place that God prepared for us. So they got out and they are just there fighting every day not to fall back, not to backslide. That is the greatest term that we use, not to backslide. So every day we are living, I don't want to get back to that life. I don't want to get back to that life. I don't want to get back to that life. Because we've, we are like that prisoner who is staying on the streets. But what if that prisoner was told, you have a house that was built for you somewhere. You have servants to serve you somewhere. You have access to this and this and this and this. They would walk out of that prison and never spend a day on the streets. They would walk out of prison and go direct to their place. And while in that place, they would never fight not to go back to prison because they would have food there, they would have shelter there, they would have servants there. They would never fight not to go back to prison. 
Why would they fight not to go back to prison? Because they've not come into a place of rest. So many believers fight so much not to fall back because they've never come to that place of rest. Yet there is a place that God has prepared for us. There is a place that God has called us to. And once we get in that place, the struggle is not going to be not to fall back. It is going to be to enjoy that place more, to know that place more. If you've given this guy this house, he's been in prison for whichever time he's been. Maybe he's been in prison since before internet was here in Kenya. While in this new house, he's going to figure out how to use his internet. He's going to figure out how to use the new plumbing. He's going to figure out how to check the new TV channels. He's going to be figuring out. He's not going to be fighting not to go back. He's going to be fighting, fighting to experience what is his. Praise the Lord. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. Let's read in the Amplified. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you are summoned and for which you confessed the good confession of faith before many witnesses. You see, that is the fight. Now that he's come into this place, his fight is to take, to take hold of this eternal life, to know this eternal life. And that is why I normally tell us that this fight of faith, it is a fight of faith. I like how the Amplified explains faith in some places. You see, say, faith is to, to adhere to, to rely on. When you say we have faith in Jesus, it is to trust him, to rely on him. So when he talks about a fight of faith, this is not a fight with demons. This is not a fight with principalities. It is a fight of faith. Faith is to believe. Okay, partially, it is to believe. So he's saying fight this fight to believe. To believe what? To believe what you've already come into. So in other words, when you come out of prison and you're in this house and, and you're threatened, you see, you may go back to prison. You know, there are cases that were not... You see, you fight to believe that the judge's word was final. You are free. That is what you fight to believe. And that is the greatest battle that Christians have. It is between the ears. It is to believe that it was accomplished. It is to believe that he's brought us into that place of rest. So he brought us into a place. Let's not live like we are on the streets. Let's not live like he just delivered us and that was all. Because you see, that would be good enough. But he did way more than that. That is why he says, in all these things, you are more than conquerors. It was beyond, it was beyond good. It was beyond what we deserved. It was beyond. He did something way better than we would have asked for. That is what he did for us. Way better than we would have asked for. Hallelujah. Let's read Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abraham, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. There is no time we see God getting anyone out of wherever they were, and he didn't have a place for them to go. There is no time. And you see, this is normally the beginning. For us to get where God wants us to go, the getting born again experience is this. Get out of that land. Get out of that land of your people. You get it? His kindred. Those, your family. Get, get out of that place and come to the place that I will show you. That place is definitely better. He only takes us to a better place. That is the beginning for every person. That is the beginning. 
That is the beginning. Everyone that you will see in the Bible, he got them out, but he was taking them to a better place. When he called the disciples, he told them, follow me and I will make you. Hallelujah. He made them. He didn't just say follow me. He had a mission, praise the Lord, and he had a place for them, and he made them. He made them what he wanted them to be. He made them who he wanted them to be. And that is the same thing that God has done for us. It is true when we get born again, we are living. When you get born again, you're living that place. You're living that place where you've been, but you're coming into another life. You're coming into another place. Eternal life is that place. And when you get to that place of eternal life, you realize that he actually longs for you more than you long for him. You see, many times we are so convinced of how much we long for him. But you see, in John chapter 17, verse 3, he tells us that this is eternal life, that they might know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This knowledge is experiential knowledge. He was not talking about that they may know you just by their head. He was talking about that they may experience you. They may have fellowship with you. And you see, that is why many times when people are praying, we say the grace as a way to close prayer. That's why you find when people say the grace, that is when they start doing everything else. So, okay, may the grace, they start packing their bags. They start, because they don't know what that means. Paul didn't write it almost in every book he wrote so that it is for closing our bags and you see, the, the second line says, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost. Yeah? And the fellowship. The word koinonia, partnership. You see, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all. Now and forever. Be with us all. And that is why the biggest part of the body of Christ does not have the fellowship of the Holy Ghost. Yet every service they pray it. Be with us now and forever. Then tomorrow you find them worried. The other day you find them this. Because if the fellowship of the Holy Ghost was with you forever. Because I think by the time Paul is telling us to pray that prayer, it is possible that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit can be with us forever. And why? Because that is eternal life. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us experiencing God a reality. That is why he says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he says, This is the kingdom of God. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So imagine if you have this fellowship with the Holy Ghost every day. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in a place called the Holy Ghost. So imagine you praying every time and saying, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That means every day I want to operate in the kingdom of God. I want to live in the kingdom of God. That every day, that is how I want to live. Now the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is part of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is beyond that. The kingdom of heaven is that where there is total submission to God. It is where there is, no, there is no conflict at all about the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of heaven. Where there is totally no conflict. No one is struggling to believe. No one is, that, is the, that is the kingdom of heaven. Just like heaven. In heaven, no one is there trying to believe if God is real. You get it? No one is there. It's like, if you're real, do this. If you, you see, there is nothing there of prove yourself. Everyone there is in sync. But the kingdom of God goes beyond that. The kingdom of God goes even where there may be some conflict. The kingdom of God is meant to reign on earth. And we carry the kingdom of God. Said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we carry the kingdom of God. We are the ones who 
expand it here on earth. We are the one who cover territory for the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. It is in us operating in the Holy Ghost. That is a place that is brought us to. That place called eternal life. That place called eternal life. The children of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, when he called them out of Egypt, many of them were so glad to be out of Egypt. They didn't know that he was bringing them into a certain place. And the place that he was bringing them was not just the promised land that flows with milk and honey. He was bringing them to himself. That is what Moses was laboring for, that they may come and worship their God. That is why Moses said, not an hoof shall we leave. They took gold, they took the animals to go and meet their creator. See that they are going to meet their creator. But because they had this mentality, this mentality of bondage, this mentality of the prisoners, when they met their maker, when they met the one who was longing for them, the one who had waited for them for more than 400 years, they said, no, 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 we don't want you. Speak to Moses. They didn't experience where he had brought them. And that is why they desired to go back many times. We read Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 15 last time. And you see it says that if they had considered the country that they had come from, they would have had opportunity to go back. These are the men of, the men of faith that he's talking about. But you see the children of Israel every time considered the country they had come from. Why? Because they didn't know that they were being brought into another place. So they always considered. They considered what they ate. They considered how they lived. They considered. They always admired Egypt. And yet it is so different from Moses. We don't see Moses think that way. Moses who used to live in a palace. Moses who had the life. We never hear him saying he wants to go back. We never hear him telling God, did you bring me out here to suffer? Have you had Christians who say that? Have I believed God to suffer? It is because they're on the streets. They got out of prison, but they're on the streets. They've never come to that place of rest. They've never come to that place that he wanted to bring us into. And so you see, they were so focused looking for the promised land, looking for, and they missed the ultimate. They missed what God had for them that was way better than even the promised land. They missed that. Because you see, eventually they got in the promised land. There was still death. There, was still, there are many things that still happened in the promised land. And eventually they were displaced. But you see, Moses, who was leading them to the promised land, because he had arrived, when God told him, go and die, he didn't say, God, at least give me a chance. At least two days in the promised land, no? Moses had come to a place that was better than the promised land. He had come to a place that controls the promised land. It is the same thing that Paul is saying, that to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It is that. I, if you kill me, you've helped me. I experience him even better without any earthly limitations. If it is here on earth, I still live by his faith. I still live experiencing him. So the children of Israel were that way. And many Christians today are that way. That's why many Christians are frustrated. Because we, we, we just came for the promised land. We came and God healed us. We don't need any more healing. Now we are frustrated. What more? What next? Because we got born again to be healed. We got born again to, 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 to prosper. We got born again not to suffer in life. But you see, that's not enough. Eternal life is knowing him, experiencing him every day, having fellowship with him. And this is what I was teaching about initially when I was talking about reigning, when we were talking about reigning, yeah? That we have dominion to reign. There is that place in God where there is no deficiency. There is no deficiency. There is that place where your supply is not what man can see. There is a place where you reach and there is no deficiency. No one can make you small. No one can make you... You, you, you can never feel insufficient no matter 
how much you've studied, no matter what you own, no matter what you've seen, no matter the exposure you have, there is a place you get, and that is eternal life. There is a place. This is, look at Joseph had an example of this. Joseph, Joseph, a young boy of 17. Definitely Egypt was better than where he was coming from. Egypt was like the superpower by that time. And he gets there, and there is no culture shock in Joseph. He doesn't feel like, if I just sleep with this woman, maybe my life will even get better. What do I have to go back to? No, Joseph had come to a place where he knew his God. He, he didn't even say, I can't do this against Potiphar. He said, how shall I do such a thing against my God? There is an experience that he had that nothing was appealing to him. Nothing would appeal to him beyond the relationship that he had with God. And you see, once Christians arrive here, many of these things, the promised land will be easy. This is where Joshua and Caleb, it is like they had reached here, go to a land full of giants, and they said, the land is fruitful. The Lord shall surely deliver them to us. They didn't feel insufficient at all. The other ten said, we were like grasshoppers. And Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that walked into the promised land. You see, sometimes the things that we really struggle for, we, we are really struggling for healing, we are really struggling for finances, we are really struggling for this, we are really struggling for this. If we get to know that there is a better place than that, that that is not what makes God God. And you see, why many Christians are frustrated is because we've never come to this place of eternal life. So if, when there is no provision, we think he's ceased to be God. But you know, I know believers, I know when T.L. Osborne's wife was dying, she died to sickness after great ministry, seeing sick people healed, flying for 14 hours in pain, but she wants another person to get the gospel. And her health went down. And when she's dying... She told the husband, switch off the TV, switch off the phone, switch off everything. You tell the brethren to stop playing, praying for me. I'm ready to go. I've, I've, I've done my part. As in, she had peace. It was, she didn't say, God, I've been for you 53 years. Why are you? There is a place that she had got. Like Moses, when God told him, come and die, he was so eager to die. Paul said, I'm betwixt between two. Whether to depart and be with him or to stay in the body. But he said, to stay in the body, it is for you. How many people today are betwixt between that? <laughs> we will cling to life with everything we can. You know why? Because the eternity has never been a real experience. It has never been that appealing. You, you feel like, hey, how do I die without getting that house. How do I die before proving to people that I made it? You know, that, that's what you think. Man. But you know, when we experience this life, all those things vanish. They don't matter. And as a child of God, that's how you're going to stand even through criticism and every attack because you're not looking for any credit from any man. You've reached to a place where you are sufficient. You see, I see the struggle that goes on among many preachers wanting this platform. Let me go here. If I'm only invited here, if I only go here. And you see the excitement because there's something. They've not arrived. You see, it may make you better outward, definitely. Connection is important. But connections will only help you if you've got to that place where you're not deficient at all. If you've got to that place where that eternal life is yours, where... It only helps when you're in that place. That is how it helped Joseph. 
Joseph didn't get so excited because he's made a prime minister because he had already arrived. Being made a prime minister didn't make him big. It made him big in the eyes of the world. But in his heart, it didn't, it didn't change a thing. If he was looking for status, he would have slept with Potiphar's wife. But he had arrived. So I've had these Christians who have died in a time where you would think they would be complaining, oh God, where are you? And it is because they've experienced this. And the truth is that when you experience eternal life, you can release it. It will be easier to see healing. It will be easier to see prosperity. It will be, because that is the kingdom. That is the kingdom that we've come into. Let's read Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Hallelujah. Who has believed our report? Go back. You see, many times it bothers you that your relatives don't believe. You're arguing with them about, ah, those weird teachings from your church. You mean you're not meant to fall sick? You mean you're not the first? It is not uncommon for people not to believe the report. A virgin shall give birth. You see, <laughs> you see, they, they will want to reduce you to logic. Let me tell you that they you received Jesus Christ, you started operating beyond logic. Because if you're born again, you believe in the virgin birth. That's not logical. So stop, stop fighting to fit in their logic. Yeah? I saw somebody post today that stop trying to fit into places you've outgrown. Stop fixing yourself in those pants that you've outgrown. <laughs> They'll burst. <laughs> yeah. Many times as Christians, we try so much, so much to defend ourselves. The truth is that as much as we try to defend ourselves, it is not going to help those guys. New wine is only put in new wineskins. They need a change of heart, not, a, not a, just a change of mindset. Change of mindset can be for one who is already a believer. But they need a change of mindset, a, a change of the heart, regeneration, a new heart. The stony heart will be taken away and they get a heart of flesh. And he's saying, who? Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? Definitely, it is so amazing that it is Isaiah asking this after writing many funny things. A virgin shall give birth. Yeah? He's written that and he's asking who has believed our report. Definitely none by this time. And then he makes it worse. He says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form of calmliness. And when we, sh we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. He's talking about Jesus. Who took our place? This is eternal life. This is the fight of faith. To believe that these things have happened. Believe that these things have happened. That is the life that he's brought us into. As you experience him, you're going to realize that this is the life. Praise the Lord. However many the times are that you've fallen sick, never allow the devil to tell you that Jesus didn't take sickness. That is the good fight of faith. It was done. 
It was done. He took it. He took it. Praise the Lord. Let me read for you something. Which you see, this is what religion, this is what religion does to this is what religion does to humanity. And religion has done this to us many times. In certain nations, perfectly born infants, infants are deliberately blinded, or their legs and arms are broken, twisted, and left to heal in deformed positions. The gods are supposed to be pleased for a member of the family to be crippled and to spend his or her life as a beggar. That pleases the gods. Traditional religion or religion often does that to the human spirit. Born into God's family, healthy and perfect, the eyes of the mind are blinded to God's miraculous, abundant lifestyle. Attitudes are twisted and wrapped by pious ideologies and sanctimonious dogmas and all that. That is what happens to us. You're born free. But you see now, everybody says, all of us must have this thorn in the flesh. It may be your thorn in the flesh. Twisted to appease your gods. To appease our piety. That, you know, you feel pious that there's something like that. And so we don't resist the devil. James tells us, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil. And he will. There's no way he's going to flee if you do not resist him. Now, if you've accepted all that the devil does, how are you going to resist him? Because you see, like, yeah, we need to have a beggar in our family. We need to have somebody crippled in our family. That is what appeases gods. Our gods, our family, there is a blessing that will just be on our family. And even here, with, with witchcraft and what? But you see, the families would, like, a family wants to be rich. They sacrifice maybe a firstborn. So you find that that family, the firstborn, maybe is mad, but he was the sacrifice for the father to become rich. Or... Something else happened to them, but they were the sacrifice. Why? Because they believe that this appeases the gods. But you see, it is the same thing that we've brought into Christianity. That many times, whatever the devil is doing, we justify. Let me see, even if we talk about the thorn in the flesh. It was bad. It was ugly. But Paul says, a messenger from Satan. Doesn't that statement show that it's not from God? A messenger from Satan. To buffet me. That is not from God. And Paul was not talking like he's proud to have a thorn in the flesh. So who has believed our report? Who has believed this report? Why did Christ go through all that? Why did he pay all that? It, it, it feels like an insult to him. Imagine if I'm toiling, yeah? Let me say some of us, like, our parents have toiled to put us where, where, where we are. Like, my parents toiled to get us to go for some of these trips in school when we would pay a lot of money. They would sacrifice some things. There are many things that they would sacrifice, but they make sure that term, they've paid the school fees, and they've paid maybe this money to go to whichever place, a national park or where. They've paid all this money. So imagine my dad going through all that. Then he comes, and I tell him, I thought that the teacher would refuse me to go. So I decided not to go. After all that toil, that is what we do to Jesus every day. A man of sorrows. No calmliness. He lost his beauty. All this is describing what he went through on the cross. Then we come and say, you see, sometimes some sicknesses are from God. As in, why would he then go through all that? 39 stripes for people to be healed. 
It is an insult to him. It is painful to him that we choose to side with the devil, that we choose to be convinced to live like the devil wants us to live in a life of defeat. We should never settle for that. Eternal life is that life of God. Eternal life is that that makes God who he is. That is eternal life. It is not just life that does not come to an end. That is true. But that is one of the aspects of it. Eternal life is that life of reigning. How he tells us in Colossians that he got us, he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He translated us into another kingdom. That is why his son is called the king of kings. Why? Because in Revelations he tells us that you and me are kings. We are priests and kings. So in our kingdom, no one is not a king. So the king has to be a king of kings. That's why he's called a king of kings, because the kingdom he rules over is full of kings. Now, that's the kingdom that he's called us to. You see, Jesus came to show us how we should live. Look at the life of Jesus. How did Jesus live on earth? There was no insufficiency at all. And you see, when I'm talking about insufficiency or deficiency, look, I'm not talking about your school fees. I'm not talking about the salary you earn. I'm not talking about the house you... You see, you can live in the best house in this nation and be suffering deficiency. You can meet the best people you can, and you still suffer deficiency. But you see, when you encounter him, when eternal life is your reality, that sense of deficiency totally goes. That is why it becomes easy for you to say yes to him wherever he wants you to go. Because your identity is not in anything anymore. You see why many Christians are like, what? He left that awesome job to preach. It's because they've never experienced this. <laughs> this is better than any job. <laughs> Hallelujah. The greatest thing is to know him. The greatest thing is to know him. The greatest thing is to experience him. This is what I was telling you, that that is why James is beheaded in prison, yeah? And Peter sleeps. <laughs> that man, there is no deficiency in that man. You, you get to prison. These prisons of ours, they are not killing people who get there. But you get in that prison, you call everyone. You remember everyone. You remember your uncle's cousin who is a friend to. Life has come to an end. You get it? This guy slept. In other words, even death could not make him deficient. As in, there's nothing you could do to Peter to make him feel small. That's why he looks at these men boldly and tells them, choose for us today. Should we obey you, O God? at the gate of prison. And he's just from there. They've beaten him. He's just from there. Before they even lock the door where he's come from, he challenges them again. Man, there is no deficiency in that man. That man had arrived. There is a place where he had got. And you see, when we come to Jesus, we arrive. We arrive. And this is a place that is there for all of us. The kingdom of God has all these things that we are talking about. There is healing. There is freedom. There is prosperity, but all these things, we can easily even experience them if we've got to that place where our sufficiency doesn't come from them. And that is what I'm telling you about Joshua and Caleb. Their sufficiency was not in their size. Two of them said, God, the Lord shall give us this land. Their sufficiency was in the Lord. That is why David says, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? And that is why you see David, God told him, there's too much blood on your hands. You can't build me a temple. And David still said, I'm smarter than that. He still kept money. He said, either way, I'll build that temple. And Solomon just came using David's money. That, that's a man who had got an experience with this God he's talking about. You see another person who say, whew, God has saved me. 
You know, I've had, I've had Christians who say, imagine in that church, we went to that church, they didn't even say collect tithe, they didn't even say collect offering. Very nice church. You've not experienced that eternal life. David is given permission by God not to give. And he gives. Billions. Not a donkey. Enough to build that temple, that temple that stood out. The temple that Solomon was praised for. Solomon built the temple. It was David's money. Man, there is a place this man had come to that these things didn't control them. I was talking about how we can transform this nation. It is by us getting to that place. When, when Paul tells Timothy, the love of money is the root cause of all evil, it is true. It is because many of us, our value is tied to money. That is why you will bribe, because you have safety in money. That is why we will do everything we do. Manipulate every system, do whatever we do. Because there has never been that sufficient. The Lord is my source. That is why, even when the kingdom was taken away from David, can you imagine David saying, when they took away everything, they I mean, they took their things and they built them. Do you know what David said? He asked God, should I pursue or not? <laughs> Another person would talk to God as they pursue, as in everything has been taken. And, and that is what happens today, because we've not come to a place of sufficiency in him. You get into a relationship and say, God, save him as we go on. Because his God has never been enough. You get into a funny business and you're like, God, bless it. God, you're, you're trying to drag him into blessing it. There is a place we can get. That is eternal life. Experiencing him. And it is the greatest, it, it is the greatest experience that you can ever have. This is not religion. This is not what we've been told. This is not church norms. This is not come and pray every day, come and for Bible study, come for this. Many Christians have done all that, but they've not experienced eternal life. And I believe these are the people that John is writing to. I believe the people that John was writing to, by the mere fact that he can write a letter to them, these were radical, but they were not experiencing eternal life. Because I doubt he was just going to write his letter to just guys who are there not serious about God. These were serious. They were zealous. But he tells them, I'm writing that you may know that you already have eternal life and that you might believe on the Son of God. This is eternal life, that they might know you as the only true God. This is what David says in Psalm 42, verse 2. Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? Praise the Lord. Many times we invite him to come and appear. But you see, when you, see, when you, when you experience eternal life, yeah? Instead of him to shuka, you can go there. You can make your appearance there. This is very true. No, there is nothing wrong with him to shuka. He can come. <laughs> this eternal life he's talking about is not, it is what we were talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, where he's saying that we being rooted and grounded. You see, rooted and grounded means when you say that tree is rooted and grounded, you don't come back in the morning to check. Let me hope it's not moved. <laughs> you see, we even use trees as landmarks. Because we are not expecting that tree to move. Why? Because it is rooted. So when he says, you being rooted and grounded, that is meaning that every day there is fellowship. There is that fellowship with the Holy Ghost. You don't wait for just a certain high moment in the service of, wow, God came, God crashed on me. It is true. He comes. It can crash on you, but it is, also, it is also possible that you experience this. This is what eternal life is about. And that is what John is describing when he's saying, 
This is eternal life, that they might know you as the only true God. John wrote a lot about eternal life. If you read the New Testament, you're going to realize that John writes about eternal life, even using the word eternal life more than anyone. There are things that John understood. It is John who calls God love. It is John who calls God light. It is John who talks, who says, this is eternal life. Everyone talks about, you may have eternal life. You would have eternal life. John describes it. John describes God as love. John describes God and says, that light was the life of men. He's talking about God. And he was thrown on the island of Patmos. And when he was thrown on the island of Patmos, he kept writing visions. As in, his was not, there was no break. He wasn't thrown on the island. Then he's like, God, come back. Shuka buana, shuka buana. <laughs> no, there was no break. As in, they've thrown him on an island with animals with what? He just starts writing. Then I saw one seated on the throne like, the son, like a son of man. Then there was a scroll. He's, as in, he was ever there. He lived in that world 24-7. The fellowship of the Holy Ghost was daily with him. Daily with him. When people were getting mad, he didn't see that. That is why he saw the new Jerusalem when he's writing Revelation. Many times we are so trying so much to learn to live and walk in the Spirit. Teach me to walk in the Spirit. Teach me to, to live in the Spirit. How are you born again then? You see, that is what shocked Paul. When these guys didn't know the Holy Spirit, he said, then, <laughs> what did you receive when you got born again? You see, as a Christian, it is meant to be natural that you walk in the Spirit. Because, you see, when you are born, you are born of the Spirit. Isn't it? Imagine a fish coming out of water and telling him, teach me to swim. Teach me to swim. Teach me to swim. <laughs> You see, it's funny, but that's how angels are laughing also. <laughs> they want to be told to walk in the spirit. So they got out of the spirit. They stopped walking in the spirit. Because that's how you were born. You didn't have an old life. When you were born again, you didn't know how to walk else in any other way. You were born of an incorruptible seed. You were born of the spirit. Then you got to church. You got to religion. And we convinced you how there is a certain curse the cross didn't deal with. We convinced you how certain things are going to require 40 days of prayer. We, conv we convinced you of many things. And you jumped out of the water. And you started asking God to teach you how to swim. Hallelujah. Man, there is a place for us. There is a rest for us. There is a place that he's called us to. Look at the people we were reading about in Hebrews 11. The people he's talking about. These were guys that didn't even obtain the promise. You remember we read that? They didn't obtain the promise. Why? The promise God was waiting for a better time for us. That without me, they would not be made perfect. Without me, they would not be made perfect. We are here wondering, I can't wait for that day I'll meet Peter. I'll ask Peter, how did the prison just open for you? I'll ask David, how did... But you see, that will be an insult to David and Peter. Because they are waiting for me. Because they didn't obtain the promise. They are waiting. They are waiting to hear my stories. It will be so sad if I have no story to tell. That we sit with Joshua and Joshua is like, I stopped the sun, I parted Jordan, uh, and me, I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> I pulled down principalities. <laughs> These guys didn't live the eternal life because eternal life was only, only in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet they did such great things. He said they subdued kingdoms. They subdued kingdoms. Mouths of lands were shut. Land opened up. As in, 
He talks about, you read Hebrews and you're like, wow, these guys. Then at the end he said, but they didn't receive the promise. God waiting for a better time for us. God waiting for a better time for me. And you see, as Christians, we're even trying to struggle. Does God really speak today? Get born again. That is the beginning of any relationship. You get it? No one comes and tells you, so-and-so is my boyfriend. And you ask them, have you ever talked to them? <laughs> you see how that sounds funny to you? It's the same way it sounds funny for you to say, I'm born again and God has never talked to you. Because being born again is not, is not a religious word. Being born again is a relationship. You had been born by your parents, now you've been born. That is why it is said again, because it is the second time, but now this time by the Spirit. So it is so normal. That is why Jesus says, says statements that today we try to explain away. My sheep know me, they hear my voice. Now today every preacher who is not hearing his voice will try to, you see now Jesus didn't exactly mean every believer. Now we will try everything. You know, some of these statements were so simple. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Simple. <laughs> Today, those guys would be very criticized on Facebook. Paul, what are you saying about us who have never been led by the Spirit of God? Are you saying we are not sons of God? Paul is like, yes, I said it already. I wrote it in Romans. I said the ones that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Why? Because this is the place it's called us to. Eternal life is more real than this life here. It is an experience with this God. You walk with him. You hear him. You speak to him. He guides you. Let's read Psalm, Psalm chapter 1. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Let's read it in the Amplified. Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, their purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the precepts, the, the, the instruction, the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, and studies by day and by night. And he shall be like a tree, firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in, in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. So according to David, if you're not prospering, you're walking in the accounts of the wicked. You're not the blessed man. That's what he's saying. <laughs> no, that's what he's saying. But you see, how won't you walk in the accounts of the, the ungodly if you're not sufficient? If your sufficiency is not from God. You see, believers have just been so misled. Believers have been misled in marriages. Believers have been misled in business. Why? Because of walking in the accounts of the ungodly. And some of the ungodly are in church. They are born again. They speak in tongues. The accounts of the ungodly. You're being fruitful has to come from man's ways. Wicked ways. Plans of the wicked. You know why a man can agree to such things? Because they are insufficient. They've never arrived. They've never arrived. And you see, that's what we go through. You're told, do this, you're told, do this. Even as a ministry, there are many things that we've been told that we've refused. You get it? He says, Moses, by faith, he left the pleasures 
of Egypt. He left them and chose to suffer with the children of Israel. This is a person that has come into this eternal life. You've come into this reality. And this is a life of reigning. Because imagine the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is real to you every day. He says that if you love me, my Father and I shall come and make our abode in you. God shall come and live in you. Now imagine God living in you. That is so big. That is so big. When he comes in you, does he become small? Now when he starts living in you, does he become small? Did he shrink? He lost all that power. The day you got born again and he, he stepped in you, he can't heal anymore. He can't shake nations anymore. You'd think again. God in you is as powerful as he was in heaven. And that is why it is you that can release him on earth. But you see, you can't release him on earth unless you know of this eternal life. That is why John is writing to them, that you may know. That you may know. Paul says that you may know which things have been freely given unto you. That you may know those things that have been freely given unto you. What has been given unto us? It is that eternal life. That God in me. You see here, we can worship him. We can say, Matayfayote. And we sing, Buana. Hallelujah, Buana. Then somebody is sick in your house. In that time, you, you don't trust that God in you. You, you trust the one in pastor. You, tr you trust the one somewhere. Else, but that one in me. Really? Did that God become small? And that is eternal life. You experiencing him every day. It is you to release him every day. He is a lion caged in you. You need to open the cage. This is the life that he's called us to. This is eternal life. And that is why he tells us to fight for it. That is why he told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. That eternal life that you confessed. Lay hold of it. Fight to believe that. That God in you is not small. And now, when he tells us eternal life is to experience him, eternal life is like Jesus said in John 14, 14, 3. See what Jesus said in 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He's longing for us. And mind you, he was not talking about heaven. But you see, as you go on, you realize that in 16, he also tells them, a little while I go away, you don't see me. Then a little while, you will see me. So he went to prepare a place, and in a little while we would see him. We would be with him in that place. He longs for us. He longs for you. Many times we've been told, you see, ah, after you pray like for three weeks, I'm sure he will show up. It makes us feel like God is there sleeping, waiting for us to wake him up. Oh, he's there waiting to hear the loudest voice and, wow, that guy may die. I better show up. <laughs> that guy has prayed, he's fasted. But he's saying that where I am, you may also be. He's done longing for us. He wants us to be in that place where he is. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. That is God speaking to you. Come away. He wants us to go away from all this destruction. That is why when we got born again, he called us out. He called us from to bring us somewhere. This is a relationship. Forget about religion. You're, you're tired of the things you've done just because of religion. 
You see, this is, religion is very powerful. Religion gets something that was birthed out of relationship and makes it, makes it the main thing. So that's, that's, that's religion. Like in his relationship with God, because it was a real relationship, God spoke to all Roberts, I want you to kneel every day as you read the New Testament for 30 days. Every day you kneel, you read it. Is it for three hours a day or what? And he would kneel. So imagine if all Roberts had turned that into a religion. Now we would make reading the Bible while kneeling the major thing. And we miss the, the major thing was that he had. There was an instruction. So we'll see somebody has been told, you pray for hours. But it's true, you'll pray for hours and get frustrated. Why? Because there is no relationship. So that is, that is what religion, we, we just say, but uh, the founders of this church in 1928, they say that we should always cover the, the podium with kitamba. <laughs> they had a reason in 1928. Everybody was coming. It was dusty. Hallelujah. That is religion. Don't let religion substitute the place of relationship. Yeah? So he's saying, come away. Come away from all that. Come away from that distraction. Many times we think it is him who has to. Holy Spirit, come. Father, come. He's telling you, come away. Come to a place. There's a place where you can appear before him. You see, many times we talk about God appeared to me. This appear, you can appear to him. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. God longs to hear your voice. You see, many times you see when somebody sings so powerfully, we say, oh, you sang like an angel. That is not so pleasing to God. That is why he ordained praises in the mouths of babes. Amen. To him they sound better than angels. Amen. That is why God will give you a song. Why would God give you a song and not give it to the angels to sing for him? Why would he give it to you? Because he wants to hear it in your voice. And you see, that is also the essence of prayer. You see, we say, oh, if he knows all things, then why should we pray? He loves hearing your voice. He loves hearing your voice. You see, he's saying, let me hear your voice. He wants to hear your voice. You see, when we talk about strongholds, why Paul is telling Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He's telling Timothy to fight to believe these things. To fight to believe that before you get into prayer, God is there. He can't wait to hear that voice. He can't wait to look at you. Why? Because you see, the strongholds that are there are these things of, I'm not worthy. I'm not pleasing. How shall I come to that God? I, I can't even come into his presence. Maybe, okay, no, I'm used to, we were told that if you pray like for an hour, you see, normally an hour, there's, there's power in praying first for one hour. After one hour, God shows up. So you see, those are strongholds you have. Now you see, Paul is telling Timothy, fight the fight of faith. Fight to believe that he's longing to hear your voice. That is why we can all worship him. To him, we sound nice ever. Now you see, the beneficiary here is not him. Now you see, when you get there and he's saying, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. And thy countenance is calmly. In other words, you're beautiful. You look nice. You look good. Now you see, when, when we show up, 
when we show up, instead of every time telling him to show up, when, for, when we are the ones who appear there, then we see how he sees us. We start seeing ourselves different. We start seeing ourselves like he sees us. And we start living that life. You can't come like that. You can't come and experience this and not walk in the eternal life. No, you see, nothing will make you feel small. Nothing will make you feel small because you're there. You're like, man, the God of the universe longs for me. And that's why I'm telling you that when we start experiencing this, man, at times you, at times you can't even speak. And you see, by the time he's saying, let me hear your voice, he wants to hear that voice. Imagine, you, your prayer stops being an obligation. Why do you many times emphasize this in relationships? That now when you go for a date or you do this, Put away your phone. Why? Because the relationship has not got to that place where it is so nice, where it is so valuable. You've not yet experienced the good in that relationship. You experience it, you would not want the phone to be there. What if somebody distracts you? When you're talking to the most valuable person, when you're talking to the one who loves you. And you see, this is the same thing. How would you dread meeting him? That one is waiting to hear for your voice. Hallelujah. Every day he's just longing for you. He long, this is eternal life. That they might know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is what David is writing in Psalm 42, verse 2. That is what he's talking about. That I may appear. The other versions change it. They say, is it come in your presence or what? But I like that the kingdom says, shall I come and appear before my God? It is not that God shall come and appear before me. Now, God appearing before us has no, there is nothing bad about that. But you see, the issue is that religion will limit it to that. It has to be a two-way thing. So how is it that this God is the only one that comes to us? We never go to him. And yet this God lives in us. Now, that is real eternal life. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That we hear him. And, and you see, that's what we miss when we get to the prophetic. Many times we've been, we've been really studying about the prophetic and what. We've really, we've really, it's true the prophetic, the biggest part of the emphasis of the prophetic is to speak for God. But it starts with hearing God for yourself. So whenever we are talking about hearing God, we are so much on, ask God what he's telling you about your neighbor. So you find that there are many people who are so prophetic but so frustrated. Because they hear a lot about other people. It is very true. And you see, that is what, like some people, God only speaks to them about ministry, about business, about, that's the only thing. No, 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 no. You should be coming and say, imagine today, he spoke to me and he told me, you're so precious. This is eternal life. That they might know him. And that is why you realize that a lot, that a lot will go on. The people will think will take you down and what? And it will be like water on a duck's feathers. It will just be going off. People wondering, all this has not put you down. It is because you have him. You can talk to him. His voice alone is so healing. Because when you get in this place, even when you've come with many complaints, and you, you see, at times we get in this place, at times we start that way. Oh, God, where were you? God, did you hear them? God, did you hear what they said? God, God. Then you hear his voice saying, let me hear your voice. You forget all your complaints. You may just be there like, hey. 
And you see, now when you get into such a place, you start releasing your spirit man. Your spirit man, the, this control that your spirit man now, you give him access to your world. He's not locked in there anymore. He's not, because now you see carnality is going away. And this is really eternal life. This is what happens when we get to know him. It is like there's a tube, there's a flow that is continuous because of this place. And that is what Paul is talking about and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. You know, that I feel like that's a prayer that we should always make after such services. After a service when everyone... Because I know even as I'm speaking, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I know even, even as, as I'm speaking right now, some of you are speaking in tongues. You're just speaking down there. Why? Because you feel like he's invited you to that place. You feel like now he wants to hear your voice. You get it? Now, that should continue even after you leave this place. That that is how you live every day. So you see, when you live that way every day, you're going to realize that now you've come to a place where there is no deficiency. You're going to realize that you've come to a place where you're so sufficient, where you're so supplied, where whatever you need is there. And that way, it is going to be easy to release that which is in your spirit. It is going to be easy to... Because you see, you will see yourself as you are because... That is how he sees you. He says, let me look at your countenance. Let me hear your voice. Then when he sees you, when he sees you, you see how he admires you. You can't feel inferior when you know that this God has said it is you that he wants. You can't. You can't. God has come to you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. You see, that, that time you can't even start talking, but God, you don't know my background. But God, you don't know what... You can't start saying such things. You see, that's what he met Gideon and he said, mighty man of valor. God has big phrases. Gideon is hiding, he's threshing in the wine press. You don't thresh in the wine press. You thresh outside where there's wind. You get it? Why is he threshing in the wine press? Because he's a coward. But that's according to the world. God comes and says, mighty man of valor, threshing there. That's why I'm saying that now you come to this place where he invites you, he speaks to you. You start seeing yourself like he sees you. When you come out of that place, you, you, you change all this condemnation, all this pity, all this self-pity, self sympathy, it goes away. He elevates you. He can't speak to you and you, you, you stay with your head down. Hallelujah. He's calling you to that place. He wants you to experience him every day. Don't settle for religion. Don't settle for church norms. Don't just settle for I must come for service, I must go. He's real. He's real. And he longs for you. He longs for you. He can't wait. So if you've been thinking, wow, if I speak to him, will he hear me? He was ready 2,000 years ago. He was ready for you. He prepared the meeting. He's been there waiting. Have you ever sat in a restaurant and you're waiting for somebody and they are not showing up? You take the first coffee, you take the second one, you take the next dawa, and you start looking around, and you, you didn't order, you didn't make the main order because you told the waiter, I'm waiting for somebody, get me a table for two. And they are not showing up. That is how God has been all this while, just waiting. And he knows, he knows whatever you've gone through. But the blood of Jesus was sufficient. The blood of Jesus was sufficient. So it's not, you, it's, it's not even time for you to to, to start going there to disqualify yourself. That is what religion has taught us. Religion has taught us to always talk down on ourselves. 
Oh God, you see, we are not worthy. We are not even. Somebody say dreaming costs nothing. So you better dream big. When you get there. Okay, let me say. He says that before we ask, he knows. He knows when we are going to pray. So when I get there, let me talk big things. After all, he knows everything. Why should I start with the ugly ones? Let me start with the big ones. After all, he knows everything. But he's waited for you. He wants you. He wants this to be daily. He wants this to be daily. That's how you shall reign. Nothing will be too good for you that he supplies. Nothing will be too good for you that the cross has given. Hallelujah.